Welcome to Fintech Chatting presented by Tier 1 People, leaders in Fintech Executive Search. Follow us on your favorite podcast player or Fintech Chatter TV on YouTube. Welcome to Fintech Chatter, the show for everything fintech down under. I'm your host, Dexter Cousins, and today I'm joined by a guest who is making her Fintech Chatter Chatter debut. It's Ada Juan from Rich Data Co. Ada, welcome to your Fintech Chatter debut. Thank you, Dexter. So glad to be here. It's fantastic to have you here. Um, It's an incredible story. We were just chatting before off air how um, I think I tried to headhunt you in 2012 when you were at Westpac. (laughs) And here we are 11 years later and you're a co-founder of a successful fintech business. But before we kind of get into today's show, would you mind telling our listeners a bit about Rich Data Co. and what you do? Yeah, of course. So um, Rich Data Co., we call RDC, is about eight years old. So we've been in existence for about eight years. And then we provide AI decisioning platform to lenders and they're largely in the business lending and the commercial lending space. So our goal is really providing the AI decisioning capability and that helps the lenders to make higher quality decisions safely and more efficiently. So an AI business that's eight years old, that would kind of make you a d- dinosaur in today's <laughs> terms. Is that right? <laughs> I know. Um, and now, you see, if you talk to any any business, it's an AI business, right? So the, the thing we're super proud of is we started really applying AI for lending eight years ago. Yeah. So our first customer is out of North America, and we start to really making lending decisions using their data eight years ago. So we have some experience, mm. which is no. great. Now I'm quite excited about this show and uh, and this this um, interview, Ada. And the reason why is that um, today we're actually celebrating, I think, the fourth anniversary of the first episode of FinTech Chatter. And I was listening to it because I'm going to be recording a special show, um, kind of looking back over the last four years. But in that show, the part of the discussion is around how kind of FinTech has really been so far, well, to that point, about improving processes and not really changing the products in any way. And one of the references that I made was that as a business owner and just to see the way that work has evolved and changed rapidly over the last 15, 20 years, we're still using like credit decision decision models that are based on people who had a job for life and kind of all of these kind of factors from the 1970s, not the 2020s. So I'm, I'm really fascinated to kind of understand how Rich Data Co is, is actually solving this problem and, and addressing it. Um, so let's get into a little bit details around this. So the method I think many lenders use or many banks use in terms of credit assessment are still based on methodology defined in 1950s, right? It's heavily so reliable. So it's been kind by saying 1970. <laughs> <laughs> so it's been around a long time yeah. and it has been very successful for a long time. And uh, it's relied heavily on credit history and uh, past behavior. And uh, so one of the reasons we're really thinking about how to change the game and how to solve the issue is now there are so many data, so much data become available about individuals and also about business. AI technology advanced a lot in the last 70, 80 years. And uh, 
can we actually solve the problem differently? Can we actually using AI and using data have a deeper understanding of the behavior and be able to predict, understand what the future looks like? Can we bring decisioning and AI together, help lender to make a better decision? And uh, is the, perhaps the idea behind RDC and to really thinking about how can we think of the problem differently and can we solve it using AI and uh, what type of control we need to be in place and uh, to give that safety and the compliance aspect to the lenders so they can safely use AI and in the lending space. So... I'm kind of sitting on the sidelines as a consumer complaining about this, but you know, I know only too well that you know, it's one thing for us to kind of say, hey, technology can make this better. But then when you get into a bank, the complexity of their technology stacks and legacy systems, et cetera, oftentimes you come in with a great idea and people get excited. And then the realization that how are we ever going to implement this and make it work? And you know, the other challenge being, if this goes wrong, am I potentially going to jail? How yeah. have you overcome those two <laughs> challenges when you, you've been approaching banking clients? Um, so if you look at RDC, uh, many of us coming from banking background and uh, coming from large enterprise software background. So we have a solid understanding, the challenge of the legacy systems and how difficult it is and what's the possible pathway to help banks to solve that issue, perhaps is one. And so we actually understand the pain and uh, we don't try to pretend the pain is not there. Mm. Uh, often what we help banks to do is AI accelerator type of approach. So setting up an environment to help the banks to experiment, testing new ideas around AI and testing out in a control environment before we roll that out into production. I think for many large banks, that's the right way to go to really test out the idea, proven it can work and before moving that into production, perhaps is one. Um, secondly, purely from banks' perspective, the compliance requirement is very high. It's a slightly different from many fintech lenders and the compliance requirement is not as high as, as banks need to do. So from designing the AI decisioning platform perspective, we focus a lot around transparency and compliance. So we have a term we use called glass box AI. So what that really means is every decision made in our platform is traceable all the way back to the data. So how the data get ingested, what type of prediction we have done, how many models was used, all the model results are expandable and uh, the decision itself which is uh, a combination of multiple models and the multiple rules is traceable all the way through so uh, i think we have a term called self-describing decisions that means if the banks ever wanted to inspect one of the lending decisions they ever made they have a chance to do that on our platform so I think this type of design and building an investment into the platform and enable us to be able to have the ability to service mm. the, the banks or, or fintech lenders. And what, what kind of feedback have you been given from your clients as to how impactful the platform is? Mm. You would see in some of the press release our customer have down and uh, in the market and uh, I think we firmly believe uh, it's best for our customer talking about us and the verse we promoting ourselves and uh, so you can see the feedback is overwhelming and in terms of the impact we have achieved really helping large banks and uh, innovate in the business lending space and uh, in a way getting ahead of their competitors is mm. what we've been focusing on doing. Yeah. And do you focus purely on business lending or do you do other forms of lending as well? So the platform itself and uh, the core of the platform itself is helping 
uh, organization to make complex business decisions using AI. So the platform itself has a lot of expandability in terms of extending into other industries. We, in the past, we have worked across multiple industries as well, such as retail, such as telecommunication. Currently, we're very focused on around business lending and commercial lending. And uh, the core reason is a space is actually very difficult to solve and uh, very difficult to get the right solution mm. for. So we see this space we want it to be super good at. Yeah. Uh, we also done consumer lending in the past. It's an area we could potentially go back to, but currently we mm. really focus on business and commercial lending. So if we look at the Australian fintech space, you know, I think kind of a lot of the success stories have come in that SME lending space. You've got Judo, Prosper, you know, a whole host of other businesses that are doing a great job. But when I look at the structure of their businesses and you look at the people within the business, they're probably about 20%, 25% tech people. And the rest are salespeople. So it's still a kind of heavily dominated kind of, you know, human kind of centered um, kind of industry. What what kind of, where, where do you see the opportunity to be able to, you know, um, I guess, you know, bring technology more into that? And, and does a, a platform like RDC, does that kind of take people out of the process or does it just help them get a better decision? So our business is to enable the bankers, right? So in, in terms of if you look at SME lending, it's pro- perhaps the fully automated decision is possible and uh, under a certain amount. And uh, if you go to the commercial end, and especially about $5 million uh, lending, and uh, at this point in time, no one is going to rely on AI yeah. to make a decision and say, do a take and a finish. And uh, the things we're really focusing on is the harmonize the AI and uh, and the human. So uh, in a way, I haven't found the best analogy for it. It's almost providing a calculator for the bankers, if you yeah. would say. And in the days have no calculators and all the bankers need to do the calculation by hand. Yeah. Is can we provide the next generation of tooling to the bankers mm. and uh, to help them to not just look at the past and also looking at the future, into the future, and uh, to see yeah. what the future um, is actually painting out for their customers. So if I give you an example to bring this to life, so one of the core things we do, especially for SME uh, businesses, is we do cash flow forecast. So we're predicting their cash flow strength over the next 12 months. So when the bankers examine how their SME business is doing, they could look at the cash flow strength of that business over 12 months because business often have seasonality. So if I give you an example, um, if the cash balance continue to dropping, very likely that business is start to run into issues. The banker actually needs to have a conversation with the business owner, say, what's going on, Dexter? Yeah. Are you okay? And uh, on the other side, if let's say a retail business in December, you see the cash flow continue to drop, but picking up Prediction-wise, picking up in in January, February, that's a fantastic lending opportunity. Mm. The bankers should be have a conversation with that business. Say, Dexter, can I help you out? Looks yeah. like you need some cash to buy stock for Christmas. Can I help you out? Do you need to buy more stock in order to grow your business so you can come back stronger in January and February? So what AI re- really is doing is start to provide that insight for the bankers yeah. to look into the future in terms of their 
business customers, and uh, they can have much more meaningful and insightful conversation with the customers. And uh, that's how the the banker is to enable the bankers, and it's not replacing mm. the bankers; it's making the bankers' life better. Yeah. One of the the things that really frustrates me about the recruitment industry, or, or just recruitment in general, is this um, kind of the the way in which um, hires are done, particularly through jobs and job advertising. And to me, it doesn't make any sense that I would pay to advertise my brand, get hundreds, if not thousands of people to spend the time applying and then reject them and say, I'm not interested in you. It's really bad for brand. And I've seen a lot of lending businesses (laughs) follow that approach as well, where they've kind of almost given a bad, you know, uh, experience yeah. to people who could be customers in the future. Yeah. Um, is there? Do you see a, a kind of time, or is it possible through through the RDC platform that if, let's say, for example, my business, I go for a loan and I want two million dollars, yeah. and it comes back no, is there then alternatives of hey, here's what we can offer, here's how we can structure it here's kind of how we could make actually the deal work around different scenarios. Yeah, 100%. I think if you're really thinking about what an ideal lending situation is for the customer, is you have the credit available to you when you need it, where you need it, and how you need it, right? So if I design a whole lending product around the customer, that would be how I design it. And uh, then from AI perspective, can I use AI to understand your needs better and uh, to make sure the credit which tailored to your needs is actually available before you're even thinking about it is where we're driving towards. I know um, it is here now and uh, we're helping major banks doing that now and uh, really looking at the existing customer portfolio and uh, to see how to optimize the offer to existing customers because the frustration is if you are existing customers, I have all your data, I understand you, I have a relationship with you from a bank perspective, I should know when to order, uh, when to offer credit to you, at what time and in what format, and enable banker to have a very meaningful conversation with you, and uh, that's the things we're mm. focusing on. So I'm I'm really interested to kind of dig a bit deeper into the actual business itself. So you mentioned you're eight years old. Um, yeah. As I kind of rocked up to to reception. I think the first thing I mentioned was, hey, it's noisy in here. <laughs> um, it is Melbourne Cup Day, so, yeah. you know, I kind of, but it, it was quite, particularly over the last few years, you know, you, you've kind of forgotten that, yeah. you know, offices can be noisy places. How many people do you have in the business now? Yeah, we have about 60 people in the business and uh, office-wise, uh, one thing I'm super excited around RDC office is always have a fantastic energy. Yeah. And uh, so in, whenever I have a tough day, actually I come into the office, always buzzing and uh, people laughing, joking and uh, playing and uh, and uh, it's just a fantastic place to be. Mm. And in terms of the people, are you all technologists? Do you have kind of a, what's the, the, the mix of kind of skills and backgrounds we have so one of our culture principles around diversity we have a very diverse workforce and uh, largely categorized by two type of people one is we call them young guns so the very young kids fresh out of school for ambition for energy i think you saw some of them out there and uh, there's another generation is more like what we call the corporate warriors so been uh being around the corporate for a while and uh done quite well and uh, felt there's more 
in their career and uh, then working in large corporate, they wanted to try something different. So we also have a group of people like that. So we normally mm. have the young guns and the corporate warriors and uh, in, in IDC. Yeah. And would you be in an AI business or are you kind of what predominantly data scientists or? We mainly engineer and data scientists. Yeah. We have a very, very thin sales and a marketing team. So we have two sales guys zero marketing and uh, so everyone else is almost or or either expertise in credit or in banking or engineers or data scientists or data engineers so you know kind of marketing and sales are pivotal to to growth and yet with only what three people in those function two people (laughs) you've managed to bring on some really big big clients and big names not just here in australia but globally so how have you done that um i think one is the product is good and yeah. uh, so the the platform itself sometimes it's quite amusing right and uh, if you're thinking about you're talking about ai decision business out of sydney and uh, relatively unknown rdc is not very well known i think overall and uh not out of Silicon Valley and uh, not out of East Coast of US. And uh, so we relatively uh, um, unknown and yeah. uh, internationally. And uh, we, the platform itself is good. People are good. So we have people who has very deep domain expertise and who can really make it work. I think every bit of business we earn. Uh, so by delivering results to the business and uh, then then the customer become the advocacy of what mm. we do. And I think that's how we have done so far. But yeah. we will grow our sales team. It's, yeah. a, it's, a gen, it's a process we're going through. And how on earth have you managed to hire then what I'm assuming is at least 57 data scientists <laughs> and engineers? <laughs> um, talent attracts talents, right? So it's uh, we are... The RDC team, I mean, I work in large banks, large technology companies. I would say RDC have one of the strongest team in the industry. And uh, the, the core reason for that is there's a bunch of people come together and uh, they have huge ambitions, huge talents. They want to do something different. So I think one of the things we keep talking about at the very early days is saying it's a bunch of interesting people to do interesting things which are impactful yeah. is what we're driving. And uh, so you have people truly passionate about the business and uh, then good people bring good people talent attracts mm-hmm. talents people don't come into organization work for organization yeah. they come in work for people yeah look there's a there's a saying i think which is um a team you know a team people attract a team people yeah. b team people attract c and d yeah. and d yeah and i think it's you know it, it is true and it might sound a little bit kind of um you know uh uh, being a bit of a talent snob but yeah. i think the reality is you you know you you have to get it right in a yeah. business of this size there's just no way to hide uh, 100% i think people especially i felt especially in startup people will decide how successful you can yeah. be so one thing we often say is the limitation of any staff such as RDC is how good the people are yeah. and how good we are as not just individuals as a team and how much we can push the boundaries as a team, how we hold each other accountable, mm-hmm. how to push each other up as a team is we'll decide how far we'll go. Yeah, It's actually nothing else. And the product comes because people is good. Mm-hmm. Customer comes because yeah. people is good. So people is, is core of our business. Yeah. And unfortunately what I see Ada is kind of the, you know, the, actually flipped in reality for most of the industry in that 
most of the emphasis, whilst they say people are our number one asset, most of the emphasis from founders, and you've only got to go and you know, go to an event or look online, it's all about raising capital. <laughs> and, you know, the reality is that kind of if you focus on getting the right people, yeah, all of those things kind of will well, come into naturally. Whereas I think, yeah. you know, founders tend to put all of their energy and focus in trying to make that work yeah. rather than trying to bring in the right people and build the right product. Yeah. And then, you know, as you pointed out with one of the examples of how the, the platform works, yeah. you know, if you've got sales booming, yeah. that's the time everybody wants to lend you money, yeah, right? Yeah. When you need it, yeah. nobody wants to lend exactly. it to you, right? Exactly. So I think I think that kind of that um, you know, that kind of approach that you've got around the people and the product, it's great to see that it's actually now, you know, with a team of two salespeople that you're able yeah. to, to go and win all these great customers. Yeah, absolutely. I think the, from an investor perspective, we've been talking to many investors like many staffs. Fundamentally, I felt investors wanted to invest in good business. And uh, so if we look at Boy Down 2, and it's really solid business, and especially in the current environment, that's where investors are focusing on. Then what they do they access? They access how good people are is the number one criteria. And uh, so our investors are always amazed on how, how good our team are. And uh, so number one, before anything else, then they look at product-to-market feed, they're looking at your revenue, at your growth trajectory and all that. But the first gate is actually people. Mm-hmm. So if you want capital, get a team right. so important. Yeah. I want to talk about your journey. Um, it's kind of, you know, it, it, I think one of the, the privileges that I've got in my, my kind of you know, space that I work in is there are people who have got on the podcast who like yourself I used to headhunt you know 15 <laughs> years ago and they were you know they were coming out of a big four firm and you know that was where I would go to go and get you know first time CA passes or and what was really interesting was having recruited initially kind of finance and risk was to see kind of post GFC how finance and risk morphed into strategy and morphed into data and all of these other areas where people in my network now have gone off and just wanted to solve these problems. And, you know, it kind of was a natural progression for me. You know, people say, oh, how did you kind of figure out that fintech was going to be a thing? Well, I just followed my network. I just followed the people that I really believed in that I'd, I'd kind of worked with previously and were clients or candidates and seen where they were going and thought, well, this must be, this must be something. What, what's your journey been like? You know, because I think when, when we spoke, you were in data at Westpac, you then moved to Oracle and here you are, you're talking to a you know, businesswoman about raising capital, about, you know, people, about, you know, your kind of cost to serve and mo- all these cash flow models. And you know, how, how have you made that transition to go from being a, an employee at a huge organization like Oracle to being a founder and all of the challenges that come with that. Yeah, I mean, being a founder, doing staff, perhaps is the most difficult thing I've ever done and uh, also the most fulfilling thing I've ever done. So it was not an easy transition. I think uh, my career history has always been in large corporate, right? So I have a Woolies history and a banking history and Oracle yeah. history. And uh, so 
very safe and uh, different industries quite fun to be in as well. They're all fantastic organizations. I learn a lot. And uh, making that change from a very large organization such as Oracle, I think at the time it's 120,000 people, right? And, yeah. uh, and into a, a staff because uh, I think we have a story around uh, seven people, three chairs when we first started. Yeah. So it has three <laughs> chairs for three months. And uh, it's a massive transition. Um, the core reason for doing that is is that corporate warrior story, right? So I keep wondering, are there more? And uh, sh- and uh, if I don't make the change then, and I probably never would. Yeah. And uh, I think a lot of my mentors at the time actually really guided me as well, say, what's there to lose go mm-hmm. have a try you can always come back to large corporate and uh, if it's not successful and uh, go give a try yeah. and uh, don't let something uh, you look back and uh, you re- regret it say i wish i have done that yeah so i think it's just um i think people doing startup are a little bit crazy and yeah. a little yeah. bit adventure driven so i think i have that I believe in my blood and I wanted to take a a chance. I wanted to take a risk, wanted to see how that goes. Mm -hmm. And uh, that perhaps is what driven me taking the chance. One of the startling kind of stats from the research and data that I've collected over, you know, what the seven, seven, eight years that I've been in business with tier one people is um, when we've looked at people who've made the move from a large corporate to a, a fintech startup, and by a startup, you know, I'm talking about a business that's under 100 people. Yeah. Um, 90% who've made the move leave within the first six months. And it sounds a bit shocking, but yeah. I think once you've been in the environment and you've experienced both environments, yeah. it's really kind of, you know, it's a lot clearer as to why it doesn't work for a lot of people. Yeah. What were the things that you had to change about yourself yeah. Pretty quickly yeah. when you kind of made that leap. I think one is, can I just say for the stats, I'm not, it, it's not shocking. And uh, a staff is not suitable for everyone. And uh, it is tough. And uh, so it's not something everyone has to do. I think yeah. <laughs> it's suitable for certain people, especially from a recruitment perspective. We're actually uh, very conscious and uh, it might not be suitable for, for very talented, some part of the very talented population, yeah. but very suitable for the other population. And uh, some of those attributes is actually that adventure taking yeah. attributes, personality trait. And there are people more willing to take a risk and yeah. see how it goes. Yeah, we're kind of, we're going a little bit off tangent here, yeah. but I remember speaking to a friend of mine who's an old client. We were, were having a walk, I think a, a year and a half or so ago, and he's from the UK as well. And we were just talking about this thing around the kind of risk-taking and entrepreneurial spirit. And he referenced some research that, and, um, that he'd read where there's apparently genetically 10% of the population, it's coded into the 10% of the population genetically. And that's how we actually spread from, you know, if the origins of humanity are <laughs> Ethiopia, just that you yeah. kind of had to go off an adventure and yeah. seek it. And if we didn't have that 10% of the population, yeah. we would all be kind of still yeah. in North Africa. Right? <laughs> like, so the, the whole thing around innovation, it's, 
and entrepreneurship, it seems like there's kind of 10% of the population predisposed to it. And then when I, because I, you mentioned that when I was talking about this 90% number that yeah. we'd come come up with from our data. So it's kind of fascinating that, you know, I don't know if it's just we're all kind of making this bias towards it, but it, it's quite fascinating when you speak to so many people. Yeah, because we've been, been, uh, been in business for eight years. I'll, I'll come back to the, the changes, but being in business for eight years, we interview a lot of people, we hire a lot of people, and uh, then um, you're looking at the attributes. It's really one, one thing we joke about um, in RDC is quite few of uh, quite few of us go rock climbing on uh, weekly yeah. basis. We actually say perhaps one of the recruitment thing we need to do is get the, yeah. the person do a rock climbing lesson. I think HR is telling me the insurance might be an issue. But uh, the well, <laughs> my son who's uh, 11, <laughs> I take him bouldering every yeah. every Friday, and it's he's done. Rugby league, soccer, cricket, yeah. and it's the one thing that he has stuck at. You know, yeah. he's, he's committed to everything, but yeah. he's after a season or two seasons, he's said, "Hey, it's not for me." This is the one thing, and I, and I asked him, and I said, "Hey, what is it about yeah. bouldering and rock climbing that you yeah. love?" And he said, "It's about problem solving." Yeah. This is an eleven-year-old yeah. kid, right? I, know, I was I like, know. "Oh, wow!" <laughs> because in in terms of climbing, and uh, you need a few things, right? You need to be physically fit, and uh, that's base. Second, because you have, there are so many different tracks, you have yeah. to use your brain. It's a mental game. Yeah, you're also dealing with your uh, fear of failure. Because you, you, you fall, you could you could easily fall. You need to rely on your partner and make sure that person actually holding holding you up. And uh, then you're taking a, a calculated risk constantly because otherwise you can't go up the hard course. Yeah. And uh, then at that point, you, you figure out, am I taking that risk or not taking that risk? If I take that risk, I get to that point. Can I go to the next point? Yeah. Or... Or that's a that part, that role. And uh, so in many ways, it's yeah. very, very similar to entrepreneur yeah. journey and uh, in terms of how you I, go I'm, up. I've actually used that same kind of metaphor, except, you know, climbing Everest, yeah. but using that as, you know, how people should look at their careers now. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's not a linear path. Yeah. There's not a ladder going straight yeah, to the top. No. There's no ladder it's, to it's success. This. Yeah, you're zigzagging, you're yeah. going up. Sometimes you're going to have to go down, yeah. move across, but then yeah. there's a faster route to get to where you want to go or a safer route. So I, I think your your um, idea about doing rock climbing <laughs> as part of the an assessment, I don't think is necessarily uh, a crazy idea. Especially for staff because it's such a... So uh, go back to your question before around what I need to change. So if you're thinking about large organisations, you have a lot of safety in it. Yeah. You don't need to worry about payroll. You don't need to worry about tax. You don't need to worry about HR hiring process. There's a ton of safety net around you. So you do what you do, you do it well. Mm. And uh, But you don't need to worry about a whole bunch of other stuff yeah. which surrounding a business. The biggest adjustment I need to, I, I was have to make is suddenly that's become a responsibility. Yeah. And uh, suddenly you need to figure out how to even set up an accounting system when we first started mm. and uh, who is going to be minding that and yeah. what type of control we need to put in place. Yeah. So a lot of business related capability. I'm, I'm smiling, right? Because yeah. I remember when I, I set launched tier one people yeah. and I went through exactly that same yeah. thing. And I was really fortunate in that I think the first three or four weeks, I actually got my first bit of business, right? Yeah. And I was planning it might take six months. And I was, yeah, I was celebrating and I was like, yes. And then yeah. the first thing that hit my head was, 
how do I send an invoice? I, know. I don't have a system. <laughs> and I had to reverse engineer yeah. and I called an accountant and we set up zero. Yeah. But I think every process that I had in that business was reverse yeah. engineered. And yeah. it kind of, I, I think the only time that I actually felt like that, well, twice was when I first moved to Australia and when I first became a parent. Yeah. And it was just, everything was so alien. And it yeah. was like, I really do not know what I'm doing here. I'm just making this up as I, I go know, along. I, I think that's the time you really grow as a person mm. because you, when you're most uncomfortable, you grow as a person, yeah. right? So the, the, when you throw into that situation, you're kind of like, okay, I somehow just need to make it work. And uh, then I think that's when a team are super important. Mm. So have a team supporting you and building that out becomes yeah. super important. If you looked at the two environments, one of the things that I'm really kind of fascinated by at the moment is, uh, and I don't know if it's necessarily a true or whether it's just kind of media talk, is this talk of um, you know, the kind of burnout pandemic that we're going through. And I really struggle to understand because I, I look at, the, the way in which our lives are now structured, mm. working from home, we've never yeah. had it better. You know, if, like it, if we were here 2019 and yeah. I said, hey, Ada, you know, in the next few years, people are going to be in the office once or twice a week yeah. and they're going to be burned out. You would have said, <laughs> what are you talking about, right? Like, what are you talking about? What, yeah. You've experienced a, a corporate career. Yeah. You've experienced a startup career. Which of the two do you think would more likely lead to burnout for you? I think um, I think it's very individual uh, business-based and mm. instead of category. So because if I talk about RDC, RDC is a startup, right? Yeah. So it's, uh, the pressure is high yeah. at any point in time. Yeah. And uh, for us, it's a survival pressure versus, versus large corporate. And uh, so one thing we actually very consciously put in place is a culture principle we call a culture key. And uh, it's actually to exactly avoiding that issue is to say um, we want you to look after yourself first, your loved one next, and uh, then RDC. Mm. So the business will be here. But if you're not healthy, you're not strong, yeah. you're not well, you're not going to be helpful for anyone. Yeah. If your family or your loved ones are in stress, you're not going to be helpful for everyone. Yeah. And uh, so go sort out the base stuff first. Yeah. And uh, then let's make RDC work. So I think this type of supportive structure are important in the current mm. world. Um, working from home, yes, you, ha- you have a better chance of perhaps doing some of the school duties and balancing it off, but also means the work actually seep into your life. Yeah. It's yeah. hard to turn off. Yeah. People are online all the time. It's hard to draw that boundary between work yeah. and the personal life. And it's one thing. And the second, people are social animals. We want it the energy and yeah. the interaction with people and uh, we're enjoying making that human connections and uh, human and social connections. Uh, the other mm. factor I think are super important to avoid burnout. We need support, we need connections, we need to feel be part of a group. So I think working yeah. from home, there are some benefits. There's a lot of drawbacks as well. So how yeah. to balance that, I think it's all the business trying to figure out. Yeah. So um, this is just a beautiful transition into the next thing that I wanted yeah. to talk to you about. Um, this isn't the first AI hype cycle. There was another one in 2016. They kind of seem to come every seven years, right? <laughs> um, like, uh, yeah, yeah, El Nino, it's yeah, like the AI yeah. hype cycle. Um, but, you know, they, they 
conversation in 2016 was heavily focused around ethics and AI. It hasn't been as much so this time. I think it's more been around the kind of Terminator, yeah. you know, kind of, you know, blow, blowing up the world, yeah. you know, kind of um, Armageddon talk. Yeah. Where do you see, you know, the opportunities for AI and where do you see, see the dangers and what do you think kind of needs to happen around regulation? Yeah, a um, couple of things, right? So the the AI, especially generative AI change we, we saw in the last, it's not that long ago, it's less than a year. Yeah. And uh, what really means is not everybody, and no, no matter taxi drivers or, or delivery drivers, everyone can talk about AI. Yeah. And uh, any conversation, I was sitting in a taxi or Uber, everyone was talking about AI, right? So in that sense, it's similar to internet, similar to iPhone become available, everyone suddenly have a different mm. experience and uh, everyone has an opinion about it. Yeah. And uh, that perhaps is the key difference in 2016 and it's still a very remote idea yeah. and the people can't relate to it, can't touch it, can't feel it, and now we can. And uh, the key thing I felt are important is there is a lot of, uh, if you look at AI industry, there are two main layers. The infrastructure uh, infrastructure layer, which are largely played by large players, yeah. and uh, the Google, the Amazon, the Microsoft, the OpenAI. So they play well in that space. They provide a foundation and infrastructure layer. And uh, then I think we start to see in different industries, the application of AI started to boom. Yeah. And uh, in self-driving cars, in health, in banking, so multiple industry applications started to yeah. to, to appear. Um, the biggest test, I think, over the next few years is really how much benefit AI can really deliver to each of the industries. And uh, can we save money? Can we deliver more revenue? Can we benefit people mm. and deliver impact? And uh, what's the benefit AI can really deliver, I think, would be the true yeah. test case. Yeah. Are we doing things smarter, faster, more efficiently? And uh, it's the, yeah. the test I think we're facing, each of the AI businesses facing. Can you deliver true benefit to the end customers? And uh, in terms of safety and uh, all that are super important and the compliance, especially for um, for specific industries. I think Australian government's uh, risk-based approach I actually am super supportive of. And uh, there are some no-brainer AI applications. We should just do it. And yeah. uh, it's similar to have a faster computer and uh, you wouldn't hesitate and uh, you just go do mm. it. The high-risk one need more thought through and uh, in terms of how yeah. to do it. Um, in the financial services or in the banking industry uh, we are operating in, there is actually a whole bunch of model governance framework being in existence for a long, long, long time. And uh, banks should just uh, continue to use it and apply that into AI and uh, to control the usage of AI in, into different areas, especially core areas. I think we need to treat different industries slightly differently. And uh, there's no reason to be fearful of AI as well. AI is just a technology. It's yeah. an enabler. Yeah. And uh, it's around how we can best use the enabler to do more good. And uh, it's the key thing. And uh, the right regulation will support the growth of AI and deliver benefit. The regulation too tight could kill AI and uh, we won't benefit from the, mm. the the power of the capability. I think it's a fine balance. Yeah. Um, I, I often say to, to people that one of the reasons why I love recruiting in fintech is the the level of complexity unlike you know, kind of other kind of startup and tech tech areas um you know you can't kind of apply the man, the the mantra of 
move fast and break things. Yeah. You got to move fast with precision. Yeah. If you break things, you usually end up in jail. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. You know, FTX. Or, yeah. Yeah. Right? So the um, I guess the, you know the the question I've got for you is that given that you're in fintech and you're in AI, how complex is it? for you and kind of how narrow are the guidelines that you've got to operate in and how do you actually innovate mm. in such narrow guidelines? So we, our customer are many banks, right? So, and we are we're in the lending decisioning space, which is a, a, a space quite heavily regulated and controlled. So in that sense, we tend to work very closely with banks in order to do that. And they, our our model is really how do, how do we become an extension of banks' uh, technology team and also credit team and uh, the risk risk team and how to enable them within the current control because some of the control are absolutely needed. Yeah. And how do we design a platform actually has that capability to make the compliance easier, to give people the confidence on using AI safely. So we're thinking through that deep uh, quite deeply and working quite closely with banks to do that because otherwise they can't, no matter how good the AI is, they can't use it. If you can't use it, there's no use. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that control and the compliance is there for a reason. So for us, we're actually working with it than working against it. So Ada, it's been fantastic to hear about the, the last eight years. What does the next eight years have in store for RDC? <laughs> Um, for us, it's now uh, we in, we have a solid product, we have a solid team, and the next eight years is all around growth. And uh, so you might have seen we have entered the North America market and uh, through a very strong partner, Encino, so who is a super successful fintech in the in the global market. They're providing lending operating system currently to one thousand seven hundred banks globally. So we have signed an agreement with Encino um, the, for them to distribute our product globally. So super excited to enter the market with them and uh, we will focusing around building uh, more partnership like that and uh, continue to grow into different markets. Brilliant. Um, and we get some amazing talent listening to the show. If they're interested in potentially a career at RDC, where's the best place for them to find out about any open vacancies you've got or to reach out? Yeah, I believe we have a career link in on our website and uh, we're quite active on LinkedIn as well. So feel free to to follow us on LinkedIn and reach out from the website. And uh, we are recruiting quite heavily and uh, we, we're aiming to, to adding about 30 people to RDC over the next 12 months. So we are growing quite significantly, especially in the US market and also in the Australia market. So yeah, do reach out and uh, we are continuing to look for interesting people and I continue to uh, look for interesting people to work on interesting things. Brilliant. Well, thanks for joining me, Ada. And thanks for listening, folks. If you're new to the show, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast player and leave us a review. And if you're coming back, thanks so much for your support. It really does mean a lot to me. You can follow me on LinkedIn. And until the next episode, keep well. Fintech Chatter is produced by Tier 1 People, leaders in fintech executive search. We'll find world-class leadership talent to build world-class fintech ventures. And you can find us at tier1people.com.